Welcome to Clear and Present. On this podcast, I'm chatting with people I find interesting who are exploring what it's like to exit alcohol culture. I'm Brian Fulcher, and I'm here to learn, be curious, and open. I'm also here to get clear and present, and I'm inviting you to come along for the ride. All right. Welcome to Clear and Present, Patricia and Val. It's so nice that you were able to join me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm uh, so interested in talking to you about um, alternatives um, and about the you know, traditional roots to sobriety. And uh, in some of my podcasts, I have talked critically about AA. Um, and Patricia and I know each other from work many, many years ago. And I know that Patricia is a longtime sober person through um, the 12 step program. And so I wanted to talk to you about both of you about like what, what were, what was your experience? What were the benefits getting sober, maybe getting a bit of your sober story, Patricia, we could start with you. I've been sober 33 years. Um, And before that, I went out for five days. And then before that, I was sober for close to five years. So I've actually been more sober longer in my life than I've been alive. Um, And that is quite stunning to me to actually recognize that I've been sober this long and uh, living a good life. I grew up in a very alcoholic environment. Both of my parents were uh, raging alcoholics. My father died from cirrhosis of the liver um and alcohol just kind of ruled for us so i my older sister uh, got into al-anon she ended up leaving home marrying and married an alcoholic which is not unusual you're familiar with the behavior um and uh she got into al-anon to help her and in that course she also uh, encouraged me to participate in Alatine, which is a, a group for teenagers, obviously. And that was uh, my introduction to what they call the family of AA. Mm. Um, so you were a teenager when you got sober? I was 14. Okay. I'm 69 now. Right. So, you know, that's a long time. Big commitment. Um, after Alatine, I did explore... Uh, adult children of alcoholics and in fact started a a, a private group in the Ottawa Valley called Lesbian Daughters of Alcoholics Mm -hmm. when I came out during that period there wasn't a lot available to us in the queer community where we could speak freely Mm -hmm. so we started up that group to talk about our particular issues um, and that went on for a a while and then I uh, I uh, also participated in Al-Anon because someone I was dating uh, was using. And then one day I, I, I really felt that my own use of alcohol was, um, it was negative. You know, it was really presenting a lot of problems in my life. Um, and I knew what I needed to do based on my experience with AA. So it was a simple step for me. I had all the basis 
I knew the big book. I knew the 12 and 12. You know, I, I was aware of the concept of, you know, 90 meetings and 90 days and get a sponsor, all of the basic things they tell you that uh, are, are what they described as the way to, to uh, get sober. You know, the, the big book, which I refer to periodically, uh, was written uh, based on the stories of the first 100 people to get sober in AA. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty old book, uh, 1935. Yeah. So you can imagine back then, uh, things were pretty different. Um, yeah. So that is where a lot of uh, friction comes from, I think is uh it was faith-based then it continues to be faith-based but i i believe that back then there were limitations as to what was available mm -hmm. faith was assumed um and uh, the struggles there just wasn't a lot of support you know uh, or of any kind yeah so so that just gives a little history of, you know, when I hear criticism of the big book, I think it's important to put it in the context of when it was written and who it was written for. For sure. Uh, you know, so yeah. Um, AA for me is a, a simple uh, program for very complicated people. You mm -hmm. know, alcoholism is pretty complicated. And if you come from a full family of alcoholics, like I did, my mom, my dad, my oldest brother, uh, and myself, um, it creates for an, uh, uh, a really hard family dynamic. Yeah. So, uh, so that's when I stepped in and explored what, uh, what, I, what I could do uh, with what I was aware of to get sober. And it, uh, it works for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've been sober for a long time. Um, I really love that you saw a gap and you addressed it by starting your own group for lesbians. Um, what, like, what can you t tell or share with the listeners a little bit more about what that was? What was the gap that you saw? What were this particular things that you felt needed to be talked about um, with that group. And certainly I, I'm yeah. happy to do that because back in the day, mm -hmm. um, we weren't as out as much, you know, so yeah. it was, if you went to a meeting, primarily they were straight and you might suspect that a few people were queer. In fact, you knew a few people were queer, Yeah, but people weren't coming out at AA meetings. Mm -hmm. You know, they were in the back with their head down, trying to, find their way through, through their own struggles. Um, without talking through, about their lives. Without talking about who they really were beyond yeah. alcoholism. Mm -hmm. um, and those things that affect their uh, desire to drink. So if I think of myself as a young butch, uh, not fitting in anywhere in the world except a bar. Mm-hmm. I Which is drinking. such a queer culture thing. Like that's Absolutely. how people met each other. Yeah, that's it still is. is. It still is. is. There's not as yeah. many bricks as mortar as we would like. Yeah. But that's where we went. So if you wanted a community, you went to the bars. And if you were trying to sober up, it was pretty hard to go to the bars if you were newly sober. Yeah. Excuse me. And nowhere in the bars did they talk about what it was like to be sober. Um, so 
uh, a few friends that I had met in other ways. And I decided that we really, there was a hole here uh, where we felt like we wanted to talk as women about sobriety. Um, and uh, it was so refreshing because we also approached it without really any set rules. We didn't fo follow the AA model in any I way. I love it. <laughs> yeah, we just like, okay, we got consensus on things. You know, we really didn't develop rules, but we had some guidelines. Um, but they weren't nearly the same guidelines as AA, such as no interrupting. You could actually have cross conversation, <laughs> you know, and there was absolutely no anonymity because we all knew who we were. And yeah. you know, so what are you hiding? You know, um, it was, it, you were encouraged to talk about you and your experience um, and the challenges of being a queer alcoholic um and or being a member of a family where there was alcoholics and, and how that complication um uh, you know put you at a disadvantage in life yeah so that was super helpful but i will say that as lesbians often do relationships formed <laughs> And that complicates everything. <laughs> and that complicates everything. So uh, I think that's actually ultimately caused its uh, its collapse. But it gave me. It sounds so place. typical. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, we're all doing great until somebody falls in love. Yep. Or in love. Um, but it gave us me. Um a moment where we could see something beyond AA. And although I'm a lifelong card holding member of AA, it is not the only resource I use in my life. Yeah. I have a fantastic therapist. I have a great uh, bunch of friends who some are sober, some are not, some are users, some are not. Um, you know, so I have places where I can go and say, I'm really having a hard time. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, talking about the challenges of uh, trying to stay sober of, uh, and how do you do that in a complicated world. I was also fortunate that sobering up in Toronto, uh, there was a queer group uh, down on Sherburn Street. And it's called High Noon. Um, so that, again, became really helpful mm -hmm. to, be able to just be, we don't have to worry about coming out in this room. Yeah, you're somewhat safer. Yeah, safer. Yes. Yeah. But then, of course, as queers, there's always the 13th step, which is yes. the dating part of it. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, so you, there's always that activity going on. And I'm not saying it doesn't go on in straight groups. It's just a, it just happens. Yeah. So, but that yeah, that's one of the criticisms. Yeah, that that's kind of one of the criticisms of, of AA is the 13 steppers where you've got, you know, predatory behavior in yeah. in a group where you don't have any oversight, really, nobody's the boss. And yeah, it's in the gay groups is too, just as yeah. much in my yeah. experience, I mm -hmm. probably noticed it less in the street groups, because I wasn't looking for it. Right. I didn't yeah. recognize it. Oh, that's yeah. what flirting looks like in the straight world. Right. Yeah. So um, what about you, Val? What's your story? Um, I, so in I know you mentioned before we started recording, 
um, your uh, entry into this world is through the Al-Anon side of things? Um, yes. Yeah. I grew, also grew up in an alcoholic family and found myself repeatedly getting into relationships with alcoholics or users of different sorts. Um, and I, as a teen, I did for about a year, I was exposed to Alateine, um, which was helpful for me to have some venue to talk about this because uh, there weren't uh for me there weren't other venues i wasn't in any therapy my family wasn't a talky family we didn't share i didn't, wasn't sharing a lot with my sisters um but it was it was helpful alateen but it was just like i said about a year long and then i think we ended up moving um and then for a brief spell when i was married to an alcoholic back in the 1980s I, I was in Al-Anon for a little bit, um, a, for a little while with one group, and it just didn't quite fit with me. Um, I know that AA has been a godsend, <laughs> yeah, deity intended, I guess, there has been a very, very much very helpful to so many people. I never found it working for me completely, especially later in my life when I had, I found myself in another relationship with somebody who was using and I was scrambling and I was in an, an Al-Anon group and it just wasn't working for me. Somehow I just wasn't relating to people. And I discovered something called SMART, recovery it's been around since about the 1980s or something but i just discovered mm -hmm. it here in the twin cities of minnesota uh, although it is an international group it's it's uh not mm -hmm. just the u.s um it's called smart it it had an original name back in the mid 80s but it's and i think smart what does it stand for i don't even know what it stands for um Let's see. I can put it in the show notes. Self-management and recovery training. Mm -hmm. It's it's a group-based addiction recovery model led by volunteers, but it's based on si more on science, scientifically based treatments to overcome addiction. Um, and SMART deals with any, uh, all types of addiction, you know, drugs, alcohol, overeating, sex, compulsive spending, all kinds of things. Um, um, I believe there's, there's a difference between AA and NA and the smart recovery, uh, program in that AA and NA believe that addiction is a disease and smart recovery speaks, addresses addiction as maladaptive behavior um and it deals with it through um what's the term i, ca I called i mentioned cognitive to you behavior cognitive mm -hmm. behavior therapy i'd known about cognitive behavior therapy earlier in my life and i mm -hmm. it made sense to me it's like oh my god and then to apply it to um this issue of addiction it was just it lights one off in my head. I attended uh, some smart programs, uh, some uh, smart uh, family uh, groups, and it was just so. Uh, not that it's it's not that I don't I don't struggle too much 
with the spirituality side of, of AA. Um, I'm not a Christian, but I know that they allow for, you know, any kind of higher power, but it's still the whole program for me just wasn't a good fit. And this very scientifically based medically uh, uh, based program made such a difference for me. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, that's all I'll say right now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that you were making the kind of comparison to AA that, you know, there's the spiritual and then there's the science and, um, you know, I've always kind of felt like AA covered off that piece that, uh, that is missing for a lot of people, which is companionship and community, um, and then I would kind of challenge the idea that, you know, the behavior is maladaptive because I, I actually, and I think there's some evidence out there where, you know, when people use, they're doing it for a reason. And the reason is to self-medicate, to, you know, go to something easy to, to deal with emotional issues, past abuse and trauma. There's, yeah. there's all kinds of evidence out there. And it, and, um, you know, the use of that uh, substance works for a little while, and then it doesn't work. And that's, you know, when it doesn't work, is when you need all of the other pieces that you mentioned, Patricia, around, you know, I've got a therapist, I've got friends, I've got community, I've like learned all these different coping mechanisms and strategies. And AA focuses on that, you know, like explore what the heck is going on that makes you want to drink. And it then smart. It, in fact, it demands yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it demands were, it. In mm -hmm. my humble opinion, mm -hmm. if you are truly working the the program, there it demands that you take an inward look. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No I, yeah. About yeah. It. And I think any kind of, you know, um, overcoming using a substance, an addictive substance to address issues, you have to figure out why you're using the addictive substance. You don't have to follow a 12 step program to do that kind of inquiry. I completely right? agree. You don't. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it is interesting. Like AA has like some of those things figured out, obviously, and it's work, it's worked for a lot of people. Um, there's different ways to do it. So, um, you know, like, so my inquiry to my use um, was uh, periods of sobriety in which I was collecting data about what was going on. Um, what I noticed when I wasn't using um, and what I noticed when I started using again, like I kind of described my use as like the slowest form of suicide. Like it was just like this kind of slip into depression and, um, cause alcohol changes your brain structure. So you can't even feel pleasure anymore unless you're going to the substance for that. Um, but when you stop, you suddenly start feeling pleasure the way the brain is supposed to feel because the brain isn't like flooding itself with chemicals to counterbalance what you're consuming and stuff like that. So there's a ton of science behind like what's happening in your body. And for me, 
um, it worked really well to understand the science, um, to, to, to figure out what was really going on in my body when I was consuming that addictive substance. The other thing I wanted to mention too, um, is this idea, I know you both mentioned this, so I, I'm curious about having a dialogue about it. So like the word alcoholic, um, where it's different, that there, there's this group of people that are alcoholics, and then there's so-called normies. And I, I would challenge it because I feel like if you start drinking an addictive substance and you have some vulnerabilities, which could be what everybody has, trauma, you know, emotional um, stuff. They may have families in which they, what do you, you know, might, were tolerating. What do you might have? Yeah, yeah, we all do. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah. standard. Yeah, we, it's a standard. And we live in this world that tells us that there's nothing dangerous about the substance. And when we just talk about alcohol, it's a drug like all the other drugs. It changes your brain chemistry. It, um, it breaks the blood brain barrier. Um, and, you know, anybody taking the substance can get addicted to it because it's an addictive substance. But um, some people, you know, like for me, it was like this kind of rolling experience when I was a lot younger. Like if I was your age, Patricia, I was deeply into it. Like I was using very dangerously and, um, you know, and then I kind of rolled out of it and then rolled back into deeply dangerous use. And so my story doesn't really mirror the kind of story of the alcoholic or, you know, the way that AA often tells the story where you like hit your rock bottom and then you discover that you're somehow different than the rest of the population. And so you got to get your shit together, so to speak. So um, I'm curious about like, what, what do you, what do you feel about that? About I identify easily as an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I, I wear it as a badge of honor because it says that I recognize my issue. I own it and I am working on changing my relationship with alcohol mm -hmm. um, or any addiction. And it's not just alcohol for me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just going to break off into a little, little story because sure, I Jeez. didn't hit bottom as they talk about, you know, until you hit bottom, you're never really going to really recover. Right. I didn't quite do that. Um, I was at a family event. And as I said, my mom and my dad were uh, terrible alcoholics and watching my dad die from it was awful. And I was at a family event and we had aunts and uncles for hundreds of miles, cousins come over and we sat on the porch and they regaled me with stories about this wonderful man, how he was loved his wife and his children, and he took pride in his home and his friends, and he was a good neighbor and a good community member. And I had no idea who they were talking about, because that was not the father I knew. Yeah. The father I knew was a raging alcoholic who was abusive, neglectful, um, and what I took away from that was that I didn't want to be sitting, I didn't want my family to be sitting on a porch in 10 years saying it's so sad what happened to Pat Patricia if she'd only stopped drinking. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I wanted to be better. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. knew that I had the tools available to me. So truly, what was my issue? You know, why would I continue to do something that was going to take me away from who I wanted to be? Mm-hmm. In fact, would make it impossible for me to be who I wanted to be because I would always go down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I would just live there, you know, with every excuse, you know, that I could think of as to why I, you know, well, I need a drink because I'm tired. I need a drink because I'm happy. You know, I need a drink because my relationship's breaking up, you know. So well, that's we, the storyline that the world tells you about alcohol, right? Like that's the storyline. And the story alcohol line. industry is heavily invested in that. Absolutely. You know, you walk into a bar and it's, how's your day? You know, oh, that's mm-hmm. terrible. What can I get you? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that kind of shook me. And that probably had a lot to do with the fantastic therapist that I had. Because we Thank did a God. lot of cognitive work uh, for me to be able to to overcome my multiple childhood traumas the -hmm. sexual abuse that I experienced the extreme poverty that I lived in Mm -hmm. the hopelessness of growing up in a rotten terrible small village with only a cold water tap in the kitchen and a room full of beer in the back Mm. you know that's a that's a hard slog yeah that's a hard slog. Um, and I am so incredibly grateful to all of the people who stepped into my life, both from my, as a child, my principal, my, you know, my doctor, my sister, my brothers, AA, the, the, the queer community, mm-hmm. everybody held me up. Yeah. And it was AA that was my guide. Yeah. Not my only guide. But that was how I was able to hook into that. And really one of the things that that got in my way was the spiritual side of it. Hmm. Like many, it's like, you know, I can't go to AA. It's so spiritual and I am not. And so many people have walked in those doors and walked right out again. Mm -hmm. And I was so fortunate to have a great sponsor who said to me, the book only asks you to become willing to believe in a power greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. That willingness to believe allowed me to sidestep the religious dogma that was in my way that just kind of like, I got to get out of this place to, okay, I could sit and I could just become willing to believe. And I heard so many great messages, but yet I was prepared to let that one message send me running from the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful to him forever. I'm glad that you found the support that you needed and that it worked for you for sure. I had, and, and I also like understand like a language is important. Like, um, you know, as queers, right? Like in the queer community and being able to, you know, identify what our sexual identities are, our gender identities, um, language is really important. And so for you having the label of, um, alcoholic or the identity of alcoholic is super important to you. Um, I totally recognize that for me, um, I, 
I don't resonate with having a label. I feel Mm -hmm. like it's like, this is like, our world is pretty sick and -hmm. our world is pretty obsessed with alcohol and nobody's willing to kind of own it or talk about it. And, um, you know, like, uh, because, uh, you know, part of the, like the disease model was to fight the stigma and now it feeds the stigma in many ways, like it's, you know, so much so that when people think about their use, they're afraid to even like consider that they might be going into a dangerous realm Mm -hmm. um, because they'd have to embrace that identity. And so I think what's changed now is this idea of like, you know what, we can talk about your use now. Like if you are like having moments where you're using too much or it's starting to become the center stage in your life, why can't we start talking about that? You don't have to embrace an identity. You don't have to go to AA. You could actually just say, this is an addictive substance and it's starting to become too important to me. And I don't need to like go into like, you know, the depth and realm of like, you know, uh, I'm going to die or go to jail kind of, you know, alcohol Mm -hmm. identity. Why can't we like kind of start talking about it before people hit those places, right? Yeah. I'm going to come back in a minute and I want to talk about the eyes rolling back in my head. Um, <laughs> that's kind of interesting too. And it's a fairly recent experience, but I'd like to hear from Valerie about what her observations were of the smart meetings that she went to. Cause we just talked about, you know, spirituality. She's talked about how that didn't work for her, but how did the smart meeting work? Um, it worked very much, very similar to an AA meeting um, or an Al-Anon meeting. You know, people were, would be sharing. Um, smart, the Smart Recovery Program does not label people as addicts or alcoholics. Um, they treat addiction as a behavior that we can modify. Um, AA, I think, uh, is based on the idea that alcoholism is a chronic disease that cannot be cured, but is treatable. Um, Smart recovery does not see addiction as a disease per se, though members are free to, you know, use that terminology if they want. Instead, Smart recovery describes alcoholism as a behavioral issue, which can be corrected and isn't part of your identity. I mean, I like what you were saying, Brian, about uh, we just need to check ourselves, you know, oh, this is my things are not are not I'm not functioning well right now. What can I do to, you know, I think we are I like the idea of that we are empowered that we can find ways to deal with our struggles, um, that we're not powerless. I heard that term in AA and it's like, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think we can, you know, function. I think we can find ways to find our power, to be empowered, to, you know, it's a struggle. My gosh, when you get into the, you know, the depths of Mm, you know, addictive behavior, um, it can, it can be very difficult, but um, 
so the meetings were, you know, there was sharing of information, you know, how are you managing? Um, I had the unique experience initially attending a smart recovery meeting in that the group near my home did not, wasn't large enough. So they had like an Al-Anon or a family support group. They just had a smart recovery meeting where both those who were struggling with their behavior and those who love them, we were meeting together. And mm -hmm. that was tremendously worthwhile to me to mm -hmm. be, I'm, I, I was married to someone who was abusing yeah. alcohol and um, to hear uh, at arm's length, you know, from somebody else talk about how difficult it was for them dealing with their addiction. It really gave, helped me with empathy a lot, you know, hearing somebody else's story, not the person I was married to, who I was so angry with. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's harder to hear that stuff from somebody close to you, for sure. Yeah. Well, Patricia, I'm curious, like you, you know, you mentioned your eyes were rolling back in the back yeah. of your head. So I want to know what that's about. Okay. So I'm going to uh, preface it by saying um, about two months ago, I went to what used to be uh, Michigan Women's Festival Land. Are you familiar with it? Oh, yeah. Well, as you know, the festival has ended and Val probably went for the 37 and 40 years. But one of the things they do with the land now is they have uh, events. And I attended a Serenity and Sobriety Week on the land. And it was amazing to be with the women on the land because the land is a you know, whole other uh, entity on its own. And to be able to be sit in conversation uh, with people with different thoughts you know they would have allism meetings so you could come in with whatever your issues were and if you felt like you needed to have a little crosstalk with someone you could you know or you you're you're going to hear from the various issues and the various ways that people were dealing with their addictions and I found that to be pretty uh, refreshing as well to not not see myself in this little pigeonhole mm -hmm. um so when I talked about rolling my eyes in the back of my head, something I've noticed when AA people get together, and I'm sure it's not just AA people, but I'm going to use that, where we start to speak in our secret language. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I found on the land, for instance, there were a couple of us who were long timers, and we would stand in a circle and we'd be chatting away and we would fall into this language and it was almost hypnotic where we would refer to a step or we refer to a promise and then we would quote, you know, lines from the big book and da, 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 da. And it would just go around like that. And I thought, oh my God, I think I'm, I've had too much Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> you know, Cause your, your eyes roll in the back of your head and you're in that kind of cultish so, moment. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and that happens. It's not the first time it's happened and I'm sure it's not the last time it'll happen. But I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it either, because if one of the things that gives you comfort is being able to be in that zone with like-minded people, then and it leads you and keeps you in your sobriety, no harm done. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the strengths of AA. It's uh, that community. Because um, as human beings, we're always looking for our people. Mm-hmm. And it feels good to be in a group of people who understand you, who understand your language, understand, you know, all the things you're referencing. You can kind of like relax a bit and be in a space where you're, um, everybody gets it. Yeah. Um and uh, yeah, and that on the flip side of that, that's probably one of the reasons why AA is being accused of being cult-like and those yeah. kinds of things. I can see it. Yeah. Um, and, and like, I, you know, I'm not coming at this with any judgment from that perspective. Like, I think, you know, churches are like that too, right? Like oh my God, you go yeah. to a church, it's the yeah, same you're deal. Repeat the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. And you have a way of talking to each other and you have a set of rules about how you behave with each other. Um, And, you know, in, in, in some ways I'm doing a hard path um, myself because um, I don't have like a a community um, from that perspective. I don't have a common language, although I'm like meeting a lot of people from, you know, weirdly enough on social media where there's a lot of, people were saying, Hey, these things aren't working for me. And this is how I'm feeling about it. And this is the language that I'm kind of discovering. And I feel like that's like, you know, for me, it's a space that I'm okay. in. I, I, not that I like it. Well, do I like it? Maybe I like it. The space of ambiguity, the space of, um, having to be creative about language, the space of like discovering, and constant, you know, kind of growth, um, that kind of thing, like that is a space that I think I'm okay in because I'm like, I've, I've worked on things throughout the years. Like I've, you know, kind of like questioned and experimented and collected data. And I'm kind of naturally kind of, you know, person who just questions everything. And so maybe that's a part of the reason why I'm not a good fit for AA, but yeah, you've got um, questions. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if I like the trance that you get into when, when you're with the people. I like the friction. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about the women's serenity and sobriety because it was not AA based. Mm-hmm. But there was obviously some AA people there. Um, Val was there as well. And I'm wondering, I didn't actually get a lot of information from her about what it was like in the non-user uh, uh, meetings that you might have attended, Val. I didn't attend any uh, non-user meetings um, at the Serenity weekend at the Mishvestland. Um but I just found it to be such a climate of, for so many reasons, I mean, just for what the land is, just what that whole community is. But I, I, I found it so supportive because, well, that, that specific week, that was a week, um, there were also all kinds of uh, counseling workshops and yeah. all kinds of, it wasn't just based on, um, um, sobriety or uh, addiction. It was based on growing on how we become better people. And I found that just mm-hmm. extremely worthwhile. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't feel 
that that weak activity was only for people who uh, were reco in recovery. I mean, heck, we're all in recovery. <laughs> we're living, yeah. I mean, you know, really, yeah. just day after day after day, we're all dealing with our stuff, you know, so I, I could apply it. But in answer to your question, Patricia, uh, no, I didn't attend any uh, meetings per se like that. Mm -hmm. um, you might want to include the link to that. Uh, they have a Facebook page. Brian, about uh, Serenity and Sobriety Week, which they will do again, sure. I believe, this year. And it really was next you know, year, every summer. Year. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty outstanding. Um, um, I have a question, Brian. Um, there's there's so many groups. There's a group called Women for Sobriety. Have yeah. you have you dealt with them? I don't even yeah. I'm not familiar. Yeah, um, so I've done a quite a few like you know, I went to CAMH, which is the Canadian Mental Health mm -hmm. and Addiction Center, um, and they did a moderation um, workshop for queers. And I took that. Um, again, this is about collecting data. For me, moderation is not a solution because uh, it requires me to obsess over you know, wow. how much I'm drinking, how often, and, but it was a good thing for me to like learn um, because I was one moderating, like what my actual use was, which I wasn't paying much attention to. I was just paying attention to the shame cycle of like, Ooh, I drank too much again. So, mm -hmm. Oh, I was hung over and wasted a whole weekend again, or I did something really stupid while I was drinking again. Um, those kinds of things. So I think, you know, again, I, I got some data from that moderation, not my thing. Yeah. Um, I tried that, you know, and, and if you want to live a life where you're constantly having to count calories, like, you know, like that sort of thing. No, thank yeah. you. I just want to live my life free with freedom. Right. And then I did also take a, um, an online thing with women and sobriety. And I think it is also like very much um, kind of like based on a 12 step, but they changed the language so that it's not so much of a white guy from 80 years ago language. Mm -hmm. um, so, which is okay, but then it was still that kind of like structure. And, uh, and then I also did SOS, which is a secular, um, oh, sobriety. secular organizations for sobriety. Yeah, which I actually really liked because we like, you know, basically the group that I was in, it was in Toronto. We like got all of this, like, um, we, we used to read articles and discuss the articles and there wasn't, you know, it was all a, a very much a exploration of the facts and, um, you know, how, how that, how that impacted our behavior. So I really liked that. Um, and, uh, what else did I do? I did like, I did like a really great, uh, sober voices weekend online. And this was, uh, in the States and it was like, it was like a whole conference and it had like, you know, black indigenous voices, you know, um, uh, trans voices, like all of the voices that you never hear in sober spaces. Um, it was so nice to to be in that kind of environment. And what was the name of that? That was Sober Voices. Sober Voices. Okay. Yeah, 
I'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, finally, I read uh, This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. And um, uh, her stuff just drove it all home for me where I was like, holy crap, like this makes so much sense to me how she was talking about addiction. Um, and that was the one that, you know, and then I also did like, uh, hello, Monday morning, which was an Australian group, um, that, uh, or hello, Sunday morning, an Australian group that was started by a bunch of youth who were like, Hey, Australian youth are drinking too much. How about we start this group? And we say, how about you start experimenting with not drinking and, you know, finding out how it feels. So I was in that group for a while. Um, so I'd like, you know, kind of like dipped into a lot of stuff um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, was able to like, uh, and I was in AA in Tokyo, which was a really cool experience because the group in Tokyo was a bunch of adventurers and, you know, um, misfits in many ways. And, uh, and that was, they were really fun to hang out with. Um, but, uh, you know, when I started drinking again, they said, okay, see you later. And I, and I, you know, lost all my friends, which was really, really mm-hmm. like, that was part of the reasons why I was like, what the fuck, you know, uh, what, isn't this all about, um, you know, health and, uh, wellness. So you don't have to be like and encouraging. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But at the same time, I also understand if people are like white knuckling it and someone, is starting to drink again and they feel like that that's going to be a way for them to start drinking again then they will you know it's it's fair enough that they want to distance themselves from you but at the same time like that's you know part of the reason why I'm like hey let's have these conversations let's make it normal to talk about this stuff so that we don't have to like go trying to find friends who are are sober um, or trying to be sober or sober curious or whatever in the world. Having a bad day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to, yeah, be able to have these conversations widely and normalize it because we're living in a world that like completely normalizes taking an addictive substance on a regular basis and calling it harmless. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, non-abstinence group confuses me. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a very dear friend who's been in the program, the program as long as I have. Um, like harm reduction. Probably a little mean? bit before me um, in terms of as an alcoholic, as a user. And in the last couple of years, I noticed that uh, she had a drink or she would refer to having had a drink. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess she's drinking again. Uh, And when I ran into her and we sat down and had lunch, she talked about that she was using a a non-abstinence program that allowed her or she allowed herself to drink from time to time. And I simply just don't get it. Yeah. I just because, and maybe it's because I've been sober so long, I don't think about alcohol. Fabulous. Come into my mind. (laughs) You know, I drive down the road and I'm like, well, there's an ice cream store. (laughs) I don't see the bar next door. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Like harm reduction programs are really good because in my mind, in my opinion, I think they're really good because they allow people to bring their use to the top of mind. Like they're, they're Mm -hmm. on a journey around like, what is what's happening? Like, when are they using, like, what is constituting the allowing, you know, and like the exploration of that, I think. And then, you know, also like if people are in the, you know, red zone where their whole body has been changed by alcohol and they are in the death zone, basically like having them be able to have small doses on a regular basis is actually life-saving for them. Well, I worked um, in the shelter system, as you know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, what was that facility on George Street, Seton House? And so yeah. they had a program where, you know, at five o'clock, you could have a glass of wine. Yeah. Because um, some of the people in there were pretty hardcore. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that harm reduction program was essential for them. Yeah, because um, it saves lives, right? Like, you know, from that you know, perspective, it's difference. like... And I'm not, I'm, I'm not being judgmental here. I truly am not. I think there's a difference between you and I and someone who has spent most of their lives drinking and have experienced brain damage as a result, let yeah. alone their physical damages. So, you know, it's hard for them to be clear-headed about, yeah. I wonder why I'm drinking. All they oh, know for is sure. Drinking. All they know is drinking. My yeah. dad at the end of his life was so super saturated with alcohol. He only had to have one drink a day that yeah. put him over. Yeah. Yeah. There's a really awesome, like um, I, I saw this documentary called risky drinking mm-hmm. and um, it was such a good portrayal of the continuum of addiction to like, you know, the, the people who are just having their, you know, a couple glasses of wine a week or um, a day uh, to, to like the binge drinker, young person who's out there just getting trash and having blackouts to like the wine club people, you know, yeah. to the one who is, you know, um, deep in the bowels. bowels. And then there's the one who is not going to get out. Who's like on death's door. Right. So like the, that is like this, this continuum, the spectrum of use, and there's different strategies for everybody along that spectrum. And uh, some stuff works and some stuff, stuff doesn't like for me, you know, I'm in the wine club, you know, I was in the binge drinking when I was younger And then I got into the wine club kind of zone, which is actually medium to high risk because it's, um, you know, uh, it, it quite easily turned into I'm having wine with dinner every night. Right. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, wine with dinner every night turned into two glasses, three glasses of wine. And suddenly it's like, Oh, the bottle is gone. Right. And it's like, uh, this is not good. I am not like living my life in the way that I want to live my life. Like to use your words, Patricia, like, I don't want to be that person. That's like a half lived life. Yeah. To, you know, I think I've done well. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the functioning, right? Like in the world, the functioning, um, person, who's like, everybody seems to like, think they're just fine. 
but behind the scenes, they're not. They're like my they dad are struggling every day of his life. Yeah. Yeah. And drank himself till he passed out. And when yeah. he came to, he got up and went to work. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was his life, you know. And so yeah. he was praised for having a, you know, being a good father and having a home. We didn't feel that way in the house. Yeah. 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 I and I also like I feel like alcohol does change your behavior and change your personality because it of how it works in your brain, right? Like I feel like when I was drinking regularly, like I was like a bit of a bitch and like harsh. And there was an edge to me. And um, you know. I don't like, I don't feel like that's who I am as a person. I feel like it was a part of what alcohol did to me. Um, and, you know, since I've removed it, suddenly I'm like, you know, I could cry easily. I'm like, you know, I, I had a big heart obviously when I was drinking too, but like now I'm less worried about showing that. And I think when I was drinking, I was like, oh no, you got to be a little sharper. You got to be a little more guarded. You got to be a little bit cooler. You got to be a little bit, you know, you got to break up the sarcasm. Like yeah. Yeah. Like there's something, you know, I don't know. I think you're just trying to protect yourself. Yeah. 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 You were only one drink away, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, yeah, I think you know, like I said, I had like my, you know, yeah. it was up and down, up and down. And when I finally said, you know what, like I analyzed every single belief that I had about alcohol and in the sense of like, uh, with the help of all these new coaches that are out there spreading yeah. these fucking awesome teachings where, yeah. where they're like, analyze, is it really true? does alcohol really make you feel this way? Does alcohol really do this? Does alcohol really do that? And I did that. I like literally analyzed all the things that I believed about that substance mm -hmm. and discovered that it was a big liar. And it did none of those things for me. In fact, it actively um, prevented me from getting the things that I wanted happiness, connection, soothing, you know, uh, intimacy, warmth, laughter, um, energy, not being afraid like, of what's going to come out of your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Impulse control. Yeah. That's yeah. a big one. Yeah. I had they a just... very romantic relationship with alcohol. The last yeah. time I went, the last time I, the last time I had a drink, um, you know, I, I had the bottle and I had a glass and the sound of the ice hitting the glass. And then that crackle when you pour the alcohol over it was so romantic for me, mm -hmm. you know, and that, and it just draw, draws me in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and so many people have their rituals about their drink. Yeah. It's sensual. There is, yeah. I mean, because it's been sold to us that way. One and two, that first, you know, hit of the drug as it hits your bloodstream does something to your body. So it is, you're chasing that, you know, if you used to smoke, 
the first cigarette that gives you that nicotine high, but you can't actually get it the second, third, fourth, fifth cigarette. Anyway, so your brain is kind of anticipating that hit with all of those cues. And so, yeah, that, that I, I can relate to that, but I also have re reframed that experience to say that you actually enjoy sensuality you're enjoying ritual and that is okay like you can enjoy that stuff and not have it be alcohol (laughs) it doesn't have to be alcohol Mm -hmm. it could be you know some beautiful like you know, herbal concoction that somebody created with loving, you know, intention and you pour it over that clink of ice. And that could be the experience of like, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful, you know, sophisticated drink that I'm going to have, but it doesn't have the poison and the addictive substance in it. Valerie, did you ever drink much? No. Um, are we speaking a foreign language to you oh no 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 language? not at all drink? No. no not at all um maybe once or twice in my lifetime i've you know gotten drunk you know maybe you know and i really did not like that feeling but i mm. i was a you know i i haven't heard the term that you use brian in terms of the wine club i think i might have been kind of there you know like yep you know, because I was around people that were drinking regularly. And that was just, you know, it's part of the social scene, you know, going to people's homes, card group, getting together. Of course, there'd be, you know, alcohol. Um, or there'd be special occasions. Oh, I'm making this special, you know, whatever the margaritas yeah. or whatever, you know, it, and it had so no, I didn't, but I could tell, like, I, I started to feel some of the lure, the siren song of, you know, being engaged like that. And I like, I like a little buzz, you know, it's like, oh, I, I've started to, and it's like, you know, I, I, I maybe I, I, I believe that I'm not what's termed an addict, but I felt, I can feel the pull of, uh, that I that I could have become a user, you had there had I been around more people or something, or used more often. That's or used it. more often. Like yeah. you literally just needed to use more often, and then suddenly you're hooked. That's how yeah. it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that could have been it. And I, you know, there was always I always had other people around me. I had a couple of role models, you know, that were reminding me of, oh yeah, you know, of different things that can be damaging, not only alcohol, sugar, oh my God, you know, talk about a devastating addiction. Um, anyway, um, so answer your question, no, not a lot, but I, I felt it, I could, I could feel, I, I, it's, you're not speaking a foreign language to me, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like everybody is at risk if they pick it up, you know, because all all it takes is a crisis to kind of push you into heavy use, right? Like if you don't, or you lose your support, or yeah, yeah, exactly. Rite of passage, and you know, I was born and bred in the Ottawa Valley in Quebec. The bars open at eight o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Very civilized. And you know, that whole excitement of when you come of age, oh, the first thing you can do is have a drink. Yeah. You know, your first drunk, your first hangover, it's celebrated. Yeah. And joked about 
Yeah. So, yeah. Remember yeah. when you were so drunk, you went home with Alice oh, from uh, Dallas. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, but the good news is that the data is showing that young people are saying, I don't like this substance. And uh, alcohol is um, uh, like alcohol use is decreasing. In really? What would you say yeah. the numbers are for that? Do you have numbers? Um, I read a few articles where they're, you know, um, that they're the, I don't know if the percentage is probably different depending on which cultures too. Like I read an article about Japan where the alcohol industry is trying to figure out how to get young people to drink. Uh, oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the numbers are going down. Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting, I read an article about the alcohol industry is now investing in non-alcoholic drinks because they're noticing that the numbers are going down. I'm like, that's the way you should go. Like, yeah. you know, as, like as a non-drinker, yeah. I'm sure you're aware of what it's like to go out with some friends and to look yeah. at the Options. selection of drinks available to you and go, is my <laughs> money no good? I'm paying, I'm paying $5 for a glass of Sprite. Yeah, it's bullshit. Um, I, uh, I mean, I, uh, the, uh, just before interviewing you, I've, I interviewed, uh, another person in Toronto who runs, uh, events, um, uh, and they're non-alcoholic events. She doesn't drink. So she takes these groups of people to different bars. Um, but she chooses these facilities or these establishments that could or could not be bars. It depends, um, who offer sophisticated, interesting non-alcoholic drinks on Fabulous. the menu. Fabulous. Yeah. And she's she's like got a list of places to bring people now. We and gotta go. We gotta I know go. it is. It's so great to be able to be treated well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, by uh, stuff. It's just, it's just like being vegan or vegetarian and going to a restaurant, you know, yeah. like you look at your choices on the menu and you go, really, this is what you're yeah. offering oh, we, me? We can take the chicken out of it. <laughs> right? It's like, no, that's not actually going to make a good meal. Thanks. <laughs> can you use or a little a good creativity? Drink. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, I, I, yeah. I wanted to chat for a minute about my later part of my journey within yeah. uh, my program of recovery. So I um, stopped practicing as hard in AA. Mm -hmm. um, I don't go to a lot of meetings. I, you know, I can't, I think the last time I read the, any parts of the big book has been a couple of years and I don't have a sponsor. Mm -hmm. uh, and I rely on a lot of my resources. Mm -hmm. So that is frowned upon in AA. It is. You know, it's kind of mm -hmm. like they look at you like you're dangerous. Yeah. You know, so I don't generally talk about it in meetings. If, you know, like, as I said, I can't remember the last time I was at one. Oh, it was at Serenity and Sobriety. And I found that I was being hesitant to identify that I was using non-traditional self-made guidelines for my own sobriety. Mm -hmm. And I've stopped doing that, you know? And it's like, it's freeing for me to say, I use AA, I use my therapist, I use my friends, I use my own personal recovery experience. And yeah. it has gotten me here. Yeah. I just want to like, if I could applaud, I'd be applauding, you know, like push the button yeah. of the cheers because really, isn't that the point? Like we want to get free, right? Yeah. 
it's about freedom and it's not about like this like constant yeah tying me to like a process or identity or whatever I mean uh, for me I'm just speaking for me obviously but yeah I think it's a part of like I wish AA would kind of shift a bit from that perspective and just say hey well I think it needs yeah it needs but you know new blood will come in uh and new books will be written yeah they are they're being Uh, not too long ago i had someone (laughs) trash me literally uh and in their parking remarks was do you even have an aa sponsor as Mm. if i had no value yeah yeah you know, if I didn't have a sponsor and I wasn't following the traditional role. Yeah. And I thought, fuck you. I know you can't Mm. print that, but that's exactly how it felt. It's like, I got 33 years behind me. Something's working. Yeah, exactly. And you already mentioned a lot of things that are working, like, you know, having like a really core support system is super important. And And all of that did not help me three years ago when I realized I had a gambling addiction Mm. and I had talked to a couple of friends who said oh well that's kind of you know you got to be careful but you know you have at that time 30 years of sobriety in AA behind you so I'm sure you'll be able to handle it if if it comes up it didn't yeah it didn't help me one even one little bit yeah so let's myself in gambling yeah. With 33 this- years, 30 years of sobriety, a solid mm-hmm. program of recovery. And I couldn't stop gambling. And are you out of it now? I had to self exclude myself from both Ontario and Quebec. Mm-hmm. There's not a, not a casino in Ontario or Quebec or online gaming that allow, will allow me in the door great that was my i have to do something i don't seem to be able to make my program of recovery work for me here but i have to stop this behavior yeah the compulsion and like like yeah how it works in your brain eh? like i mean oh my god yeah 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 triggers that kind of like uh compulsive behavior and sometimes yeah, it's like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy can help with that. Sometimes medication helps, right? Like uh, yeah. there's like lots of different options out there. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to, you know, I, I need, it's been three years. Uh, it's not three years that I haven't been in a casino because when I started dating Valerie, I drove over to Minnesota. Well, Michigan, I'm not excluded there. Right. <laughs> so what did yeah. I do? stopped into a casino and lost 500 bucks you know it's interesting because i i read another book that talks about the the devil inside kind of thing and i thought oh that's really interesting because i started noticing there was a shift in pronouns inside my head when I was convincing myself that it was okay to stop at the wine store or the liquor store and pick up something that suddenly I had like, you know, the day of, I was like, I'm not going to do this. This is bad for me. And then suddenly in my head, I'm like, but we had such a bad day. And so I'm like, we, where did we come from? Who's we or you? 
like suddenly there's a shift in pronouns in my head where I was like noticing how the language changed in my head. And that to me was a signal that I was like, you know, going to go down a very conscious path because somehow we think it's not conscious. It is like, you know, from that moment that we, we hear that change of pronoun from the moment we make that next decision and the next decision, the next decision. And the whole point is to be really conscious about it and notice it and stop it at that first, you know, signal. Yeah. Before we're suddenly, um, actually, yeah, I have two bottles of wine that have Mm -hmm. been here since I moved into my place because um, my, uh, um, my, my, uh, real estate agent gave me a gift of a bottle of wine. And then a neighbor gave me a gift of a bottle of wine. <laughs> and I, I was like, what the hell? So I, you know, stuck it into the cupboard and, you know, it's funny thing because when I, so like, I'm like almost three years sober. And when I was like, like, when I say three years, I'm going to say like, the permanent choice to like realize that alcohol is like completely not like a thing that I want in my life um, because I see it as being a toxic substance. Um, before, like if like, you know, right at the early stages of um, my sobriety, um, like when like earlier times that I didn't drink, I could not have alcohol in the house. Yes, like I could not because if it was there, it was too easy for me to just pick up because I hadn't convinced myself that it didn't have any use for me. So I still felt it had use for me. Yeah. Now these bottles, I've been like, if someone wants to take them, like go ahead. Or like <laughs> I've had friends over where I'm like, if you want to drink them, you could drink them. But then they're like, actually, you know what, we want to come over to your place and just have like no alcohol. (laughs) I'm just like, great. (laughs) But they're still sitting here. And I'm, and I, you know, I don't want to give it as a gift because I think it's poison. You know, here's a thought, pour it down the sink. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah. You know, and it's it's not because I think you're in danger. I'm just thinking we, why have it? it? We put an importance on it. Yeah. And it's also like this, it's like a gift, right? Somebody uses it as a freaking bill and throwing it away. Yeah, exactly. It's so funny, eh? It's so it is. Yeah. I can't do that. Yeah, it's so weird. It's such a weird and yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, so I think we we got to wrap up because I okay. try to keep these episodes to about an hour. Um, so is there anything that I um, didn't ask you that you think isn't really like important to include in our conversation before we close? I think it's the importance of critical thinking. Mm. You know, uh, and I don't really want to go on and on about it. You understand what it is. But it, uh, I think within the AA movement, we could do a lot more critical thinking yeah. about the program. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, how we, uh, I know people talk about, you know, I, I was powerless over, over alcohol. I, I am powerful over alcohol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I, I have my own power. So that, I don't know that that's a positive message. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's lots. 
You could, you know, like there's, I, so, I, there's a few books that are written about all of the. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think it could use a, I don't think they'll ever rewrite it. I think the movement is too, too ingrained in it, but uh, a prequel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was, you know, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. The new book. Yeah, it'd be so good. How about yeah. you, Val? Um, nothing to add. No, I, I'm, I've learned things. I'm intrigued now by some of the, uh, a few books you've mentioned and uh, yeah, nope, nothing to add. Awesome. Thank so, you. Yeah, thank you. So before I close, is there, are, would you like to share with the, um, <laughs> excuse me, the listeners where to find you? Absolutely. I'm good with that. I welcome it. On my oh, social media, I, I use uh, my sister, Patricia. And mm -hmm. Val, do you uh, want to share? No, thank you. No. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. No problem at all. So um, like I mentioned, I'm going to add a lot of the resources that we talked about in the show notes and how to get in touch with you, Patricia, in the show notes as well. And I just want to say thank you so much for sharing so openly and being so vulnerable and being so um, gracious with my, you know, challenging questions about a program that has helped you. I, I really appreciate your vulnerability, Patricia and Val. And I thank so much for your time uh, sharing with me tonight. And I, and I just want to feed right back to you how excellent and wonderful I think it is for you to do so much work to find a way that works for you. Because I think, you know, when I look at the statistics for AA, you know, 50% uh, find reco recovery and only 25% after that, after have some relapses. Yeah. You know, well, and I'm like, maybe if they were to have other options and explore them that were more suitable, they could succeed. And I think that the work that you're doing and participating in, you know, uh, will demonstrate that there's more than one way to do it. Yeah, definitely. Good for you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care of yourself. Yep. You Bye -bye. too. Thanks for listening. You can find links and more info about this episode on the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe, rate, and review. And give me a follow on social. I'm at Clear and Present on Instagram.